At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Well, it is an honor um, to be here this morning. Uh, I told the first service that um, my first Woodside experience, Sunday experience, was actually right here uh, at Plymouth. Uh, it was a couple years ago, and, uh, and so that was my first experience. So it was an honor when Jeremy uh, asked me to come uh, and preach this morning, uh, and then I looked at the text. Um, uh, in the notes of the text, it says uh, this is one of the more controversial and debated texts in all of Scripture, and so uh, well played, Jeremy. Um, um, my, my goal today, there's lots of, um, there's lots of uh, camps uh, when it comes to this particular text, and my goal today is not to create another one, so we'll do our best uh, to stay with the text. Um, as we get going, um, I, I was reminded as I was, as I was preparing of uh, about 10 years ago, um, I decided I was going to run a marathon. Um, anybody here have bad ideas? You all have, have bad ideas once in a while? So um, I, I wasn't particularly a runner. Um, it was something I wanted to see if I could accomplish, um, and it took a lot of training. I didn't just get off my couch and go run a marathon. I spent uh, three months uh, training uh, for this event, and um, and I, it, what's interesting is that, is that Paul talks about our, our Christian life as a race, right? And so there's some things that I learned in that, it, running that race that, that reflected on kind of what it's like uh, to, to, to walk the Christian walk or run the Christian race, I guess. Um, and so uh, I was running that race, and, and in, in my training, the most I ran was 16 miles, um, and so I, and I guess there's some logic that if you can run 16 miles, you can run 26 miles. Um, anyone, anyone ever see the movie Dodgeball? If you can, if you can uh, dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Anybody? No. Um, that was the concept, right? Like if you can get to, if you can get to, if you can get to eight, 16 miles, then you'll be fine. And so that was the plan. So uh, I, I was running this race, uh, and the first 16 miles. Um, they were horrible, um, but they were doable. Like I had trained for this, so there were there were the un- some unfortunate hills. Um, there were moments where I felt good. There were moments that I felt terrible, but um, but I had, I had trained for it. And um, and what was interesting is I distinctly remember. I remember turning this corner, and uh, they have mile markers, and it said you're at mile marker 18. And what's significant about uh, mile marker 18 is that there's eight miles left. Eight. 0.2 miles left, and um, when you're training and you get to the, the latter stage, stages of training, eight miles is your short run. So I had run eight miles a lot. I had run eight miles about three times a week, and so I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm not feeling terrible. I, I, I'm still going, and I just have one short run uh, remaining. I kid you not, when I crossed that 18-mile threshold, both of my calves completely locked up. They completely cramped up. And so I went from thinking, I got this, to I almost crater into the street. And, um, and what became a, oh, you know, I've only got eight miles to go, became this, oh, I've got eight miles 
to go and I cannot run. It went from mild discomfort and exhaustion to sheer pain. Like every step, I could, I could run maybe a quarter of a mile to three quarters of a mile and have to stop because of the pain. And that was the rest of my marathon. And what I thought about that was that a lot of times that's the Christian life. That's our life in general. Is that there are times when things are going, going smooth and we feel like we got it under control. And then there are times when we get hit by something we didn't expect and, and uh, it becomes difficult and hard and challenging. Anybody else coming in with that this morning? Anything hit you in the last couple weeks? Um, I don't know what you're walking in with today. But I do know that there's probably moments where you feel like you're running uphill or you feel like you're running with your with your uh, calves cramped uh, in every step is painful. And what I'm, what I'm hoping to do this morning is, is, is to talk about what, what Revelation can do for us, the book of Revelation can do for us in those moments. So you might be tired because of something like, like what I would call an external battle, right? Like the, the end of that run was like a battle for me. But sometimes that battle in our walk and our life is external, meaning we're seeing things going on in the world and we can't believe that it keeps getting worse and it's not getting better. And there's all kinds of examples of that in our world today, right? Like, like um, I was thinking about what, I, you know, what would a current event be um, for us this morning and I left it blank because I figured that there probably would be another one before I finish the sermon. Like, that's the world we live in, right? A a school shooting here, a a war there, that there's so much going on. Um, uh, Earlier this year, I took my daughter um, with a a couple other fathers uh, to Nepal. And in Nepal, we're working with a ministry that helps rescue um, women that are being trafficked into India. And we sat on the border of Nepal and India, and you could... You could see the, the, the armies lined up against each other. On, on the Nepal side, you could see um, these, these girls that had been rescued from this ministry, and they had uniforms, and you could see them, and they were, uh, and they were par- uh, patrolling the border trying to, to, to see other girls that might be being trafficked who didn't know that they were being trafficked. And so they would be able to stop them and talk to them and, and, and help them. And, and on the other side, you could see people that, like, I might have been projecting, but it looked like they were part of, um, they, were, they were part of the, the team that was trying to get the girls over. It, there was definitely shady things going on at the border. My daughter said it was the darkest place she's ever been in her life um, because you could see this subtle, you know, just behind-the-scenes war going on. So sometimes it's external when we think about this battle that we're in. And sometimes it's internal. You know, um, um, when I think of Paul in uh, Romans 7, and he talks about there are things that I want to do that I, that I, that I don't do, and there's things that I don't do that I, that I, I wish I, I would, and, and, and he's wrestling internally. So sometimes those battles are internal. Sometimes they're external. I think of uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah thinking about an external, looking at the world, and he says, he says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I will plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? He's battling in his walk with God. Um, he's battling with this idea that it just seems like everybody who's wicked is prospering uh, and nothing is going to change. So sometimes it's external, sometimes it's internal. 
This morning, that's my hope, is that, one, you would think about what are the battles that you're, that you're wrestling with, and what does it look like uh, to take those to Scripture and see not just, um, I think sometimes we look at Revelation and, and we just kind of go and look, hey, how's this thing going to end, right? Like, um, we just want to get to the end of the story, and we look at Revelation as a prophetic book that, that that's its purpose, and it does do that for us, but I think it also is there to encourage us in these battles, in this walk with Christ as Christians. And so that's my hope uh, for us this morning, is that's what we would get out of this. So let's look at the text. Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Uh, commentators would say that, uh, that, that this is Jesus. Um, that based on the authority and the power, that this is Jesus that, that John sees. He says, holding in his hands the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seizes the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit. And he shut it and he sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So when we look at this text, if you remember background, last week, uh, Pastor Jeremy, uh, in, in chapter 19, we saw Jesus on the white horse. That's the picture that we see um, in our bulletin, right? We have this vision of Jesus. Do you guys remember that? And in, at the end of that chapter, um, we see him defeat the beast and, and, the, and the prophet, the, um, the false prophet. And, uh, and if you remember what Jeremy said, like, like, there's not really much of a battle here. This is just kind of quick, easy business. Um, for for Jesus, but now we come to we come to the final boss. We got any gamers out there? Like this is the final boss. Like like this isn't his henchmen. Um, this is Satan himself um, that that Jesus is now confronting. And look at the details of this vision. What happens? We see him walk in. With key and a chain. He has absolutely no doubt of how this is going to go. Now imagine, uh, imagine if there was a, a, a brawl going on in here. Someone is just ravaging this place. And a police officer walks in. He doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a baton. He just has his cuffs. He walks in. He's like, this is not a fair fight. Like, I'm just going to take this, like, I have so much power and control over this person. I'm going to be able to, to end this quickly. That's what we see with Jesus just walking up with a chain and a key. It's not a fair fight. He doesn't come with a sword and a shield. There's just the simplicity of him coming and just grabbing Satan. Not, uh, not, not like a a little snake or something. We're talking about a dragon, right? Like this isn't, this isn't Nemo in a bucket of water. Uh, this is smog, right? This is a big deal. Um, I think of, I used this illustration earlier. I think of, I have a, I have a, a dog. His name is Derby. He's a golden doodle uh, as uh, people buy these days. And like, I tell you, I can't even get a leash on him sometimes, right? I can't like, like he's just like when, and he's a tamed animal and he's just running around and I can't get a hold of him. And yet here we have Jesus coming to the dragon and saying, I'm done with this. Binds him up, locks, locks him up, throws him into a pit. And uh, one of the things I want you to see in that 
is that oftentimes our, um, our view of Satan is too big. We look at Satan the way that we sometimes even uh, portray him in, uh, in movies and our stories is that he is larger than life. And some of that makes sense. I mean, he wreaks havoc in this world. But we have uh, almost an image as if there's like, there's like God and Satan and they're almost the same size and it's an epic battle. And what I want you to see here is that this is not a fair fight. God is so much bigger, so much more powerful that Satan's like a yippy dog. He just grabs him, binds him up, and throws him away. And as you're thinking about that, I want you to think about, as we said earlier, what, what is the battle that you're wrestling with this morning? What are you facing this morning? Because I want, I, want I want to look at why does God reveal this to John? Why does he show him this picture? See, we, we didn't do all of Revelation, but if you go to Revelation 1, you'll know that this book is written by John. John um, was, uh, as most would agree, the disciple who was with Jesus, the beloved disciple. Um, John, at this point in his life, has been exiled to a little island called Patmos. Um, what John has seen in his life is he is, um, uh, obviously, he, he spent time with Jesus, and then, uh, and then he was called on with the rest of the disciples to plant the church, and he's seen the church grow like wildflower, wildfire, not flower. Um, so it's, it's growing and it's moving and people are coming to know Jesus, but at the same time, it's also being persecuted. So as, as much as um, people are coming, uh, going from death to life, he's also seeing um, the, the, the nation of Rome um, attacking the church, um, Nero persecuting the church. Uh, he's seen uh, friends and brothers and sisters in Christ die at the hands of the enemy. Uh, John himself, uh, was, they tried to kill him. The, the emperor of Rome tried to kill him. And uh, the uh, history would tell us that he was uh, dropped in a vat of boiling oil in order to kill him. And he survived. Now, some would say he survived without wounds, but I don't, I don't care who you are. Like, I don't even like it if you don't laugh at my jokes. I can't imagine someone wanting to kill me by boiling me in oil. That would be pretty discouraging in my walk. Amen? So now he's on the Isle of Patmos, and God gives him this vision. And, and you can imagine before this vision that, that, that it's okay for John to be a little discouraged. It's okay for you at times in your life to be discouraged. David, who had a heart after God, um, says this in Psalm 13. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Imagine if you're John and you're seeing the Roman Empire flourish while he, while he attacks Christ's church. And so this picture of Jesus um, binding Satan and putting him away for a thousand years would be extremely encouraging to John, would it not? Is that not a grace and a kindness of God that, 
that he would, he would show John, I know it's extremely hard. I know you're in exile and alone, but I want you to know, like, this is going to end. The pain is going to end. I think back to the marathon, and when I would see mile markers as they went from 18, 19, 20 miles, um, I knew that the pain that I was in was going to end, and because I knew that, I could keep going. If I had no idea, believe me, there were many times that I just wanted to quit. If there would have been a golf cart, I probably would have jumped in it. And, and so for, for John to be able to see this vision, and not just John, for you and I in those times when we feel like it doesn't seem like it's getting better, whether that's externally in those external battles or internally, I'm still struggling, I'm still making mistakes, I'm still falling short. Um, to have a mile marker that says it's going to end. There's a time when this is going to end, and, and there's no doubt that Jesus is the victor. To me, that's encouraging to my soul. That helps me to be able to say I can take um, the next step. I can continue uh, in this race. Now, what's interesting in this, and I have to address it because it's in the text, this is what everyone gets all um, excited about in this text is that there there is this thousand years. Anyone curious about the thousand years out there? What's going on with that? Um, uh, in your Bible, it probably calls that the millennial reign. Um, if you are of retirement age and you own a business, there's probably nothing scarier than the term millennial reign. Um, don't worry, millennials, you'll be fine. They said the same thing about us. Um, so what's going on with this thousand years? Now, it could be a literal thousand years. I don't know. There are, um, there's like four main camps, and there's a bunch of other camps on when and where all of this happens, um, all of the symbolism and all of the imagery in Revelation. What I want you to, to see this morning um, is that um, there's, a, there's a comparison here. So sometimes we use numbers very specifically. Um, uh, and sometimes we use them symbolically to denote something that's, that's bigger and grander, right? So um, Riley Green, place for the Tigers, if he hits a home run and it's a 405-yard home run, I could say he hit that 405-yard feet. Sorry, not yards. Sorry, I'm a golfer. Um, he hit that 405 feet. Or I could say he hit that ball a mile, right? Now, I'm not literally saying it's a mile. I'm just saying he hit that farther than normal right? And so when we look at the thousand, uh, the, the thousand years, it could be, it could be literal. Um, but uh, what's interesting is, one, we've got a passage here where we have the symbolism of the dragon, we have the symbolism of the chain and a key. I don't think those are literal. Um, the dragon represents Satan. Satan's real. The dragon is a symbol of him. Um, does, is Jesus going to come with an actual chain and an actual lock? I think what he's saying is, is, is Jesus is going to bind Satan uh, and, and, um, and, and, well, he's going to bind him. Um, and so the question is, uh, why would you use a thousand years? Now, look at the text. It says that Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years. And then there's a point where he says, um, he's going to, Satan's going to be let, let loose. And what's the time frame there? Can you guys see it in your Bibles? A little while. You've got Satan gets a little while, Jesus gets a thousand years. What I think is happening here is he's comparing uh, not necessarily the time frame, but the impact. Like, it's trivial. What, what Satan is going to do is trivial. 
what Jesus is going to do is substantial. Jesus' reign is what matters. Satan and what he's doing, messing around in the world, it, it, it's immaterial. Do you guys see that? And so, especially in this context, what it feels like, what he's trying to make clear is that, is that Jesus is going to reign, and that's what's important. Uh, and, and Satan is, even though he may seem big in your life right now, uh, it really is, at the end of the day, immaterial. Does that make sense? Can we go with that? Um, so, as we look at all of this going on, like all of this cosmic battles and Satan and, and Jesus, um, and we see just the power and the majesty and the glory of God um, in these chapters, one of the things that's, that's hard for me is that I start to feel overwhelmed and insignificant. Anyone else feel that as you read these texts? Like, well, well, how could I have anything to do with what's going on uh, in Revelation? And so what I, what I want you to do is look at what happens next. What does God show John? Um, in the verses 4 through 6, he says this. He says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are the ones who shared in the first resurrection. Over such second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and Christ and they will reign with him forever for a thousand years. So what do we see in this text? We see that Jesus is not alone in his reign. He's gathered up his saints. So the saints are going to reign with him, the victorious king. And, and who's there, right? So, so he, says, he says, those that have the authority to judge. So the question for me was, who are those that have the authority to judge? There could be some question about that. Well, Jesus answers that question in Matthew 19. He says, truly I say to you, in the new world, which we're talking about, when the Son of Man will sit in his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So when he says there's thrones and he sees the people that have been given the authority to judge, he's talking about the church. And he starts with the martyrs, right? Those who have been beheaded. For, for following Jesus and, and, and for defending his word. Martyrs will be um, those that Jesus will gather to him. Well, I don't know about you, but that totally makes sense to me. Of course Jesus would gather up those who have given their life for Jesus. That makes total sense. Those who have, have died and are heroes of the faith. But the second group is a little surprising. When you say, he says, he's, it, it's all those, essentially who remain faithful to Jesus and don't, don't follow Satan. That's you and me. That should be amazing to us, right? And I call this in the first service, like, this is our Oprah moment. Anyone remember when Oprah had her whole um, audience together and they all got a car and they were just surprised and they couldn't believe it? Like, this is how we should feel when we see this, that we are going to reign with Christ. If you could do something for me, if you could just turn and look at someone. It could be someone you know. You, got, you literally have to turn, look at somebody, and say, who, me? <laughs> yes, you. 
It should, be, it should be astounding. Not only astounding, it should be humbling that God would call us to reign with him because we did nothing to earn it. When he talks about this idea that, that, that second death will have no effect on us, it's because our death was, uh, was handled on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus died in our place. He lived the life we, shouldn't have, we should have lived. He died the death we shouldn't have died. And he conquered Satan, sin, and death. So we will never taste the second death. Not only will we not taste it, which is great, but we're also going to reign with Christ, though we don't deserve it. That is a beautiful and glorious gift and reward for simply trusting Jesus. Now, if you're in that crowd that feels like, man, I should be reigning, and it makes total sense out of reigning, well, got some work to do. This should be humbling, right? And we talk a lot about, um, we, we talk, uh, there is a lot of judgment here and, and vindication in Revelation, but that shouldn't, that shouldn't lead us to say, yes, we won, I knew it, we kicked butt. That should lead us to say, thank you, Jesus, and it should lead us to a compassion for those who will possibly taste the second death. And I believe that's what Jesus even does in revealing this to the world and to John is so that the world would know, hey, this is coming. And whether he revealed it or not, this is how it ends. And so isn't it the heart of God and the love of God and the compassion of God that he would reveal these images so that not only we as the church would know and it would strengthen us in our walk with Christ, but also so that the world would know, hey, this is a warning um, you have a chance to experience the first resurrection. Don't, don't ignore it. This is, sometimes we look at Revelation and it feels like, oh man, gosh, there's so much judgment. Like, where is the love of God? The love of God is in the revelation itself that he's letting the world know so they wouldn't have to face that death. His heart is that none should perish, but all shall taste everlasting life. Sadly, that is probably not the case, but that's his desire, and that's the beauty of Revelation. Blessed are the holy who share in the first resurrection. Blessed are you here this morning, that if you have trusted Jesus, that you are blessed. And rejoice in that worship this morning with that thought. And if you have not given your life to Christ, if you're not trusting him, um, it's an invitation from God. He wants you to experience that. He wants you to avoid the second death and to experience his life. And so if that's you this morning, I'd gladly talk to you. I'm sure Pastor Jeremy would gladly talk to you. But you could ask anybody here. If you see someone singing this morning, ask them because they know Jesus. And that's our heart. So be encouraged this week, whatever you're struggling with. Go to Revelation, not just to know the end, but to see the heart of God. To be encouraged for the race you're running. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.